Okay, we'll do a quick check. Yep, I'm good. You go. Check two. Yep. I'm good. Check, check, check. We're plugged in, so we're not going to lose our power. That's, right. we, that's called learning. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> Welcome to I Used to Know. I'm Scott. And I'm Steve. We are your hosts for this adventure into the past. Where we dive into things we used to know when we were kids that are no, no longer, longer true. true. So Steve, yeah, in Scott. high school, you were the man with the car. That's right. I had a car. I did not. So I hung around you a lot. <laughs> yeah, those are the good old days. I had this 1976 Pontiac Ventura. It was brown. It was my grandmother's. It was, it was slow. A, it was slow. <laughs> but it was better, better than, than mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd borrow my dad's truck. That's about as far as I could go. Yeah. And when you borrow your dad's car. Well, you got to return it with its full tank of gas. And there are rules. Absolutely. And you can't get in trouble. You get in trouble. That's it. That's right. And the biggest thing, of course, when you were growing up with uh, any vehicle that had a big engine like that truck, although it still was only zero to 55 in like 35 seconds, um, <laughs> was that you had to be sure that you wouldn't be caught speeding. That's right. Speeding would be bad. Yeah, because we lived in New Jersey. And New Jersey insurance is expensive. Yeah, it's like a bazillion dollars if you have one teen. And if you sped as a teenager, it was two bazillion dollars. Exactly. So basically, you wanted to make sure you were never going to get caught speeding at all. So you learned to live on the highway, staring at that needle at the 55 mile an hour speed mark that was they specially marked on that speedometer. Because that was the national speed limit. Nobody could go above that. And that brings us to this episode of I Used to Know, which is the 55 mile an hour speed limit. Did it save gas? Did it save lives? And was it really the most efficient speed uh, for all of us here in America? Well, we'll find out through the rest of this episode. So how did it all start, Scott? Well, we're, I'm going to start off by going back to 1973 with the, Ab, uh, the Arab-Israeli War, also known as the Yom Kippur War, uh, which happened between October 6th and 25th of 1973. It was a battle between Egypt and Syria on one side and Israel on the other. And uh, the fighting was mostly taking place in an area that was being occupied by the Israelis ever since the Six Days War from uh, 1967. And then eventually a ceasefire was brokered on October 25th, 1973, and the war was officially over. But there were other kind of casualties other than the casualties of war in that particular situation. There was a lot of people were had hurt feelings about which sides people started to kind of lean against. In the United States, we were kind of siding on the Israeli side which did not make the Organization for Petroleum Exporting Countries, otherwise known as OPEC, very happy. They were certainly upset with the fact that they, we were leaning on the opposite side of them. So they decided that they were going to teach us a little lesson. Mm -hmm. And so they did that by stopping oil shipments and by quadrupling the oil prices that we were paying. Yep. So when you think about the prices that we were paying... Before that war and before the hurt feelings, we were getting a, we were buying oil about three dollars a barrel, which just kind of blows my mind to That's think amazing. it was you can get a happy meal or a barrel of oil. 
which might be in a Happy Meal. Who knows? But do you um, want oil with that? <laughs> but it jumped almost overnight, all the way up to a whopping twelve dollars a barrel, which may not sound too crazy <laughs> to us these days here in 2018. But let's just kind of readjust the prices to 2018 dollars. So if you were to take those three dollars and twelve dollars and move them to 2018. We're talking about $17 a barrel, jumps all the way up to $85 a barrel. Yeah. And when you think about the 2008 oil spike that we had. I remember. We spiked to, when we were paying $5 a gallon of gas or something, it was uh, about $147 a barrel was like the top price. So, you know, that was a big jump. You can imagine, though, almost overnight going from 17 to 85 was absolutely crazy. That meant that the gas prices that they were paying in 2018 dollars was 55 cents a gallon before the war, which again, mind blowing. Amazing. Uh, jumped all the way up to three dollars a gallon, which is at this recording about the price we're paying today. <laughs> <laughs> but well above 55 cents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that's a huge jump for such a short period of time. And so, lack of gas, higher prices created this gigantic gas crisis here in the United States and in Europe. You know, I remember driving down the road and you would see all these gas stations without any gas whatsoever. They would just be empty. They'd have a big red flag in front of them, letting you know that there was no gas inside there. So you'd have a red flag if there was nothing, like a yellow flag meant they were rationing. You know, you could get like five gallons. And then a green flag meant you can get gas. They had it there. Yeah, but you just couldn't drive up and get gas at a green flag station. Nope, you had to drive up and wait a great one hour in line to get that gas. Oh boy, fun. Yes, and as a kid, all you had was, well, me growing up, we would have the AM radio and I had my brother. (laughs) And I had that window that you could roll down and roll back up and roll back down. That was minutes yeah, of fun. Absolutely. <laughs> and, well, at least, though, with uh, the windows, you didn't have to tell your dad or mom to turn the car on to <laughs> change all, the window. It's all so, manual exercise. That's right. Squeak, squeak, squeak. So, so we're waiting in line. There's a green flag. But even then, you couldn't just go in on any day. No, you had gas. to plan. You had to plan ahead because uh, a lot of states started rationing by what's called odd-even plates. So if the day was odd number, then if your license plate ended with an odd number, you were allowed to go get gas. And if it was an even number, if your license plate in your car ended with an even number, you can go get gas. That's right. So now that brings us through 1973, a tough year, to 1974, another tough year, because the United States and Europe are going into recession, all triggered by this gas crisis. In January of 1974, President of the United States, Richard Milhouse Nixon, Milhouse, Milhouse. <laughs> love it, <laughs> signed into law the Emergency Highway Energy Conservation Act. And this is a law that lowers the speed limit on all national highways to 55 miles an hour. And the intent of this was to force Americans to drive at a speed that all the experts deemed to be more fuel efficient, and therefore we would curb our appetite for all this foreign oil. Now, the funny thing, though, is that there was this federal law to mandate a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, but there's no federal authority inside the state highway, so the federal government would have to threaten all the states 
by holding their highway funds ransom and would only release them if the states enforce the 55 miles an hour speed limit. Which brings us to, again, why, why 55? And, and so the whole concept here was they picked 55 and they circled around that that is what's going to save us gas. And that's why we have a 55 mile an hour speed limit back then. It's because the EPA is saying, well, the best gas mileage that you're going to get, the most efficiency, is going to be between 35 and 60 miles an hour. 55 fits that mark. Mm-hmm. That when you're driving a highway at 60 miles an hour, you're going to be using more fuel than 55, like the moment there. But what I can say is when you go for every five miles an hour over that 60 mark, it's equivalent to paying 20 cents extra per gallon of gas. So because you're burning so much extra fuel when you're going every five over the 60 miles an hour. And then also another kind of efficiency note just to kind of bring up now is the idea that the use of air conditioners, if you're using your air conditioner, it can consume up to one gallon of every tank of gas you have if you use the air conditioner all the time. So if you're just driving around with your air conditioner, winter, summer, spring and fall, just kind of letting your AC run, you're basically taking one gallon from that tank and just throwing it into the air conditioner because that's all it's doing. It's a sacrifice. Yeah, but it w- I mean, back in the 70s, it wasn't really a, a big deal for us because like cars... We didn't have it. There was no air conditioner. No. I mean, my dad was like, why would you ever need air conditioning in a car? You got windows. <laughs> that's right. Just got to keep moving if you want to be cool. <laughs> so, but there is something funny about that in that windows are a more efficient way of cooling your car if you are traveling at speeds less than 40 miles an hour. So if you're going less, you know, open those windows, keep the AC off, the extra um, effort it puts on the engine will be removed and you'll be more efficient. However, if you're going over 40 miles an hour, you should run your air conditioner and close your windows because... Now, all of a sudden, now that all the air being scooped up into the car by this gigantic sail that would be the inside of your car is is creating enough resistance that the air conditioner cost is actually less than what you'd be pushing the engine to do to push this giant sail through the, through the road. Not really good for fuel economy. No. And that's really what all this is about, is it is about trying to save gas and and improve fuel economy. So in 1975, Congress passed something called the Corporate Average Fuel Economy Standard, otherwise known as the CAFE Standard. And rather than go after fuel economy through speed on the highway, this sought to improve the average fuel economy of the car itself, or the truck, or the van, or whatever is being sold in the United States. It had to meet a bare minimum miles per gallon. So the EPA had the ability to set the requirements for this this test, and they chose 55 miles an hour to be the benchmark for the fuel economy test. So, shocker, the government chose 55 miles an hour as the speed limit on the highway. The EPA chose 55 miles an hour as the test point for, uh, for fuel economy. So therefore, all of the corporations and all the car companies optimize their vehicles to be to, to run the best to 55 miles an hour so therefore 55 miles an hour becomes more embedded into our entire vicious um, vicious circle yeah the, the transportation ecosystem as i like to call it wow i just made that up <laughs> i know so <laughs> which brings us to 1976 and and the thing we wanted to note up here is kind of a funny thing because 
you know, people were starting to get the feel for this idea of only traveling at 55 miles an hour. And one of the movies, there's a movie in 1976 that came out called The Gumball Rally, which was sort of a, a small movie, but it was a protest against the 55 mile an hour speed limit in a way because it was showing off what would be later known as the Cannonball Run kind of actual race. So if you've ever heard of the Cannonball Run movie, that actually came after the Gumball Rally, but it was based on a real thing. There was a real, you know, unofficial, but kind of tracked and very illegal race (laughs) that would go from New York to California, get there as fast as you possibly can. And they kept records and, you know, go to your favorite Wikipedia, you know, device and take a look and you'll see all the records that were broken for those. So, um, but that was really the beginning of people trying to say, we really, really want to go faster than 55. (laughs) Oh, the 70s were a crazy time. They were. But what was better than the 70s, Scott? It was the 80s. Tell us about the 80s. Welcome to the big 80s. Oh, and I love the 80s. So, and what was going on in the 80s with regard to the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit would be Ronald Reagan running against Jimmy Carter. So we have a presidential election going on. Uh, Ronnie's going after Jimmy Carter, and one of his campaign promises were to raise the speed limit from 55. Because he was more big sky thinking. Um, He was from California, but certainly loved the whole West and realized that the highways were straight, they were big, and they were mostly empty. And uh, that if you wanted to travel anywhere over those vast distances, you really needed to go better, faster than 55 if you wanted to get somewhere in, in any reasonable amount of time. So he campaigned on it, and he said he was going to break the 55 mile an hour speed limit. So to make that campaign promise come true, you need a little evidence uh, to uh, to convince others to do it. In 1984, there was a study published in the Journal of Resources and Energy. It was called the 55 mile an hour speed limit and gasoline consumption. Deep. Another great title. And uh, this looked at um, the changes that resulted from that first nationalized speed limit that came into effect in the 70s. And what they found is, yep, once that law went into effect, everybody drove slower. But the overall gasoline consumption for the country as a whole stayed about the same. And wouldn't you know it, over time, demand in the United States for oil and gasoline continuously increased. We have SUVs, we have... uh, the 1980s kind of me culture, larger vehicles, showier vehicles, and... Um, DeLoreans. DeLoreans, of course. <laughs> How can we forget the DeLorean? And so the focus was starting to wane off of fuel economy and, and, and efficiency and gave Ronald Reagan the window to make this move. Well, and something else and very important happened in 1984... And that was my personal theme song. Again, the protest theme song for this, which was Sammy, Sammy Hagar singing, I can't drive 55. So, oh, the rock anthem. Oh, and many people said it was my anthem. So, <laughs> but, um, and so eventually in 1987, it finally happened. Congress did relax the restrictions. So it wasn't a repeal of the national speed limit, but they relaxed it and said, you can now drive 65 miles an hour in rural states, rural areas, and you could still get your 
your money for your highways from the federal government. Right, that, that's a good compromise. And now it brings us into the 90s. It's 1990, and there's a, a report from the Department of Highway and Public Transportation uh, in Austin, Texas, and they call this one Speed Zoning on Texas Highways. <laughs> Another deep, love deep these, title. These titles. They, um, and what they found is that, that safety decreases as any driver deviates from the prevailing speed on the road at that time. So if you're the slowpoke driver in the right-hand lane and you're just puttering along and people have to try to pass you on the left and some people try to pass you on the right, uh, you wind up being a hazard to yourself and to others. On the flip side of that, if you're the speed demon who is zipping in and out of, um, out of traffic, you're cutting people off, you're going 15 to 20 miles an hour faster than everybody else, you're at risk for an accident or causing an accident with somebody else. But if you're keeping pace with the average speed on the road, you're keeping pace with everybody else who's out there, then you are much safer. In fact, it's all about your speed relative to all the other drivers. You kind of say it's Einstein speed. <laughs> the, the Einstein speed of relativistic highway safety. That's what it should be called. And actually, if you look at the data close enough, the safest speed is to be about five miles an hour faster than the average speed so that you're moving with everybody, but a little faster so that your reaction time might be a little quicker and you can zip out of the way if there is going to be an accident. No, seriously, officer, did, did you ever read this speed zoning on Texas Highway Department of Highway Public Transportation report? I was only following what they told me was safe. <laughs> it's science, officer. <laughs> so some states begin to take this report and realize that they should be resetting their speed limits to the average speeds that are running on the road. So if they have a, a curvy road that everybody drives 35 miles an hour on, but the speed limit is posted at 50, then they drop the speed limit to 35. Or if there's a straightaway that had been 35 and uh, everybody's doing 50, then they'll they'll put the speed limit at 50 just to for bring everybody to about the same speed. It's much safer for everybody else. Maine and Minnesota led the charge on this and uh, started to show other states how to uh, how to improve overall safety on the roads. But following that is 1995, where the big moment finally happens. And that is that President Bill Clinton repeals the 55 mile an hour speed limit by putting the limits back in the hands of the states. So he wasn't necessarily a huge fan of that from what I read, but it was more of a, he needed it to, to agree to it in order to getting a transportation funding bill passed. So we have that transportation funding bill to thank for the, re the removal of the 55 mile an hour speed limit. And it took a whopping 10 days for the first states to start changing all their speed limit signs to something greater than 55. Which brings me to one of my favorite uh, speed limit signs I saw as a kid. I was reading a magazine. There was a big speed limit sign in the magazine, and all it said was night 55. And I had awesome dreams from that point forward because they were showing us the American Autobahn, which was located in Montana. Montana, when the law was repealed, they went back to their original speed limit, which was no limit. They did not have any daytime limit. You just had to drive in a reasonable and prudent manner based on the weather and road conditions during the day. So 
During the day, it was pedal to the metal, and at night you were stuck at 55. As long as you're reasonable and prudent. There you go. <laughs> so in 1999, the Heritage Foundation released a report at, uh, that basically showed that there, were no, there was no significant increase in highway deaths uh, throughout this period. In fact, they, they went down overall. And uh, much of that isn't so much the, the speed limit, but that's from the increased vehicle safety, airbags and crumple zones. Brakes. I just love saying crumple zones. Crumple zones, smart metals. But Montana legislature uh, wound up having to set a speed limit at 75 miles an hour instead of their unlimited speed limit uh, because there was a judge that thought reasonable and prudent manner was a constitutionally vague phrase to have in their law. So they, uh, rather than fight it, Montana set 75 miles an hour as their speed limit. And uh, that's where we stand today. And there went our one Autobahn. So sad. So this brings us to the final questions. Yes. So Steve, is driving 55 really safer? Well, if you go back to the Heritage Foundation report we cited, no, there was no uh, no sign of any safety uh, benefit. Basically, anything that, that helped us was from vehicle safety apparatus like uh, airbags. And then if you go back to that Texas report that said, as long as you're running at the same speed as everybody else on the road, you're basically safe. It doesn't explicitly say it has to be 55 miles an hour. Just has to be the same speed as everybody else. The Einstein speed. The Einstein speed. So, uh, 55 miles an hour was basically a. Um, it was. It was just a speed that was chosen. It's not really a safer speed. So then, what do you think, Scott? You think that 55 miles an hour is better for gas consumption? Well, I mean, if you look at the Journal of Resource and Energy, mm, nope. Mm-hmm. And you know, all right. So you might make an argument that from the EPA's perspective that it does. But then again, they're the ones who said, we're going to measure you at 55 miles an hour. So one has to wonder if they said, hey, let's measure you at 85 miles an hour, what would happen then? You know, car manufacturers would probably be targeting that as their most efficient speed. So so, um, based on that, I mean, I would have to say, nope, I don't think 55 is necessarily better for gas consumption, at least not anymore. So... That brings us down to the basic concept, Steve. Yep. Is driving 55 better? Better. Well, let's let's look at it in these terms. Once the speed limit was raised to 65 in some rural areas, the Heritage Foundation report we talked about before found that between the years of 1995 and 99, that by going faster with the lift of the speed limit, Americans overall saved some 200 million man hours of time and not being on the road. So that translates into a total net economic benefit of about two to three billion dollars a year. That's amazing. Yes, and that's totally telling me that we should be setting our speed limits to 120 miles an hour. Because <laughs> we would just be the best boost to this economy you've ever Are seen. Are you kidding me? If 65 gives us $3 billion, can you imagine what that would be? Amazon, every delivery, everything would just be so much faster. And every person would be driving with bigger grins on their mouth. Of course. 
So, so I guess that in the end, what we used to know was that 55 miles an hour was the best, safest, fastest thing you could do. And I think when you look back now, you say, no, not really. It was just a number. It was just a number that was chosen. Yeah. So that's what I used to know. Anyway, thanks for listening. I appreciate you listening to I Used to Know. Uh, if you like what you hear, make sure you tell a friend. And uh, you can check us out on our Facebook page or wherever you get your podcast fix. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody.